Welcome to the Geek Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Josue Cardona. Today, we're going to talk Magic the Gathering. And to help me do this is Natasha Lewis-Harrington. She's getting her PsyD in clinical psychology, and she is very active in the magic community. Lots of hats that she wears there. So, um, Natasha, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm, re- I'm really excited about this conversation because a lot of people have asked me about Magic the Gathering and if I use it in my work and and I never have because I've never been completely familiar with the game although I did play um, the Pokemon trading card game when I was in high school mm-hmm. and I got really really into that so I, I have an idea of how a trading card game works at least that was before um, we started talking about doing this podcast and and the reason you and I are talking is because you've written a few articles that that really, really made me see the potential of magic. And so I want to talk about kind of about those articles and, and, and what you see as the potential and the power of magic to be therapeutic, useful, helpful to people. But first, I think we should tell people what Magic the Gathering is. <laughs> so um, do you have, uh, what do you usually tell people when they ask you what, the, what magic is? I tell them it's, you know, it's a trading card game. That's the the basic concept. And uh, the thing that I really like about Magic and I think a lot of different people really like is, you know, building your own deck. So everybody makes their own deck to play with that's, you know, very unique to them, a lot of times very personal to them. And then, you you know, you have these competitions with with these decks that you've made. Um, it's, a, it's a strategy game. It's a lot of times people ask, if it's like Dungeons and Dragons and, you know, kind of similar, the, the, the world, the flavors kind of similar, but you know, the gameplay, it's much more of a, a strategy type thing. Yeah. And a trading card game just means that, um, it's not, you don't just buy a pack of cards, like, a, a the kind you would use to play poker or blackjack or anything like that. You, you build a, a deck. So you, you have a series of cards that you buy these, packets of and you keep there's hundreds and hundreds and thousands i'm guessing cards now Mm -hmm. and you can buy them collect them and then change them out in your deck so essentially everybody plays with a unique deck along a certain set of rules so very very different from um just traditional card games that people would are more familiar with Mm -hmm. and so we'll get into kind of the mechanics of of kind of that stuff I'm, i'm guessing through the conversation so so you've been playing Magic for a while. Um, can you tell us a little bit about just, like I mentioned before, those articles that you've written about kind of the potential for Magic and, and why it's so great? And, or, or maybe, I know you wrote about um, using Magic itself in a mental health setting. So um, go with it however you want, wherever you want to start. Um, I want to hear about all of it. <laughs> okay. Um, I, think, I think one of the really phenomenal things about Magic is that um, there really are just so many ways, so many different ways that you can approach it. They talk about, you know, magic isn't really one game. It's a kind of a set of games that are all played with the same pieces. And there's all these different ways that you can engage with it. Like some people really get into, uh, some people really get into the deck building, creating a deck that's special to them. Um, some people like collecting. They like, you know, they like looking at the art. They get into into the story, and so it's it's really easy, I think, for just a huge variety of people to find some aspect of the game that resonates with them and is really meaningful to them. And I think that's actually uh, 
really applicable to people who are wanting to use it in therapy because you can either match it to uh, to your own style or to your client's style. So like my big project that I've done with it was when I was working, uh, doing my practicum training in a residential facility for people with severe mental illness. And I did it uh, partially as a behavior program because my background is in applied behavior analysis, you know, working with people with autism. So I came to it uh, from a strong behavioral perspective. You know, you do what you're supposed to do that week. You go to your therapy groups, you stay out of trouble, and you earn some cards. Uh, but then I also brought in other components. Like, to me, the social aspect is very important. So there was uh, a weekly group where they met to play, and I encouraged them to, to get to know each other. And uh, they really became, some of them actually became a very tight-knit friend group, and they were, you know, the more experienced players were helping uh, the newer players and so on, so that social aspect became very important. But really, uh, whatever you wanted to do, I think uh, you can adapt it to, I think you can find some way of adapting it to your style. Like, I know one of my classmates actually had a client who was really into magic and uh, would and would play big multiplayer casual games with her friends. And she talked about, uh, you know, working with the client to understand how, you know, playing those games kind of gave her a sense of mastery, a sense of power that she might not have been having in other areas. And another clinician uh, could focus on, you know, the artistic expression of building your deck and which cards are personally meaningful to you, the characters, the pictures, the powers, and so on. I think just... uh, I think one of the strengths of magic is definitely its versatility. And and I think uh, fr- from uh, what I've seen so far, I hope that in future episodes I sound like I'm, I'm much more familiar with magic. I hope so. Um, there's so much personality to the cards, and there's so much like um, as I as I as I'm learning more about the game, and I and I identify the different colors and the different creatures and the different things you can do. There's so many different ways you can you could be that reflect kind of how we are or how we feel or how we think or how we see the world. Like I can be very defensive or I can be more aggressive or I can be, you know, um, manipulative or I can be (laughs) all all these different ways to play. And, and I guess when you, when you start getting familiar with it, you see that you can, I I can see people wanting to like either reflect how they feel and want to play that way or play a way that they feel that they wish they were right. And maybe more in real life. And, and those are conversations that must be, must be great to have with clients. Absolutely, I definitely agree. Uh, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the with the diff- different uh, archetypes of decks, like a control deck versus uh, an aggro deck, an aggressive deck. Are you familiar with those at all? A little more than I was before, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, go into an example, like what what you mean by 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 what one of those decks might be. Like, give me an example. Uh, So what I, you know, the kind of deck that I usually like to play, since coming out to Wyoming, uh, they mostly play a different kind than I'm accustomed to. I like to play the kind of magic, it's called limited, where you open your cards and you build your deck there. But out here they mostly play uh, what's called constructed, where you bring your deck. And I've been playing, um, I've been playing a deck that is, it's a control deck, they call it, uh, they call it Esper, Esper Control. And... Uh, what it is, is it's much more focused on kind of stopping the other person from 
doing what they're going to do. You have a lot of counter spells, which just cancel whatever they're trying to do, or you can, you know, you can stop their creatures, things like that. Um, and that's the kind of deck that I really enjoy playing versus someone else likes to play an aggro deck where you're not really stopping your opponent at all. You're just getting in there, you know, you, you play creature, 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 and you're attacking your opponent as fast as you can. Uh, that's, that's what's called an aggro deck when it's very fast like that. And playing those two different types of decks, um, it's, a, it's a very different kind of feel that I think, uh, like you said, really does either fit in fit in with the person's personality. I'm a, I'm a cautious person, so I like the control deck. I like having, having a handle on things uh, versus, you know, someone might like someone, someone else who's cautious might like trying out the aggro deck to try kind of uh, trying something new, trying a new way of being in a very, in a very safe environment, uh, basically, you know, a play environment where there's the, the consequences, the consequences are, you know, prizes and fun as opposed to uh, the more, you know, the more, I guess, problematic consequences if you try something new in real life and it doesn't work out quite how you'd hoped. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the control environment, too, like, uh, I can see, like, like I said before, just feeling maybe you try a new type of deck that you've never tried before and you feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Like, oh, that's not me at all. Like, I don't like that. Um, yeah. And, and of course, that's a very safe and controlled environment to do something like that in. And you're not doing it alone either because you're always playing, for the most time, you're playing one on one. Right. So there's always somebody there um, to kind of bounce the, the, the game off of. Yeah, and hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully it's it's going to be going to be your friend or somebody friendly. So you know, if it doesn't if it doesn't work out so well, then you know they can they can give you some advice. You know, maybe maybe that would work for you if you tried if you tried doing this a little different. And on the mechanic side of it, like a, a game of Magic usually takes about how long? Maybe it it really depends on kind of the decks. Maybe. 20, 20 minutes a match a match is best out of three in that you've usually got 50 minutes to to finish the three you don't always quite get there uh but usually it takes you know 10 20 minutes for one game okay so then so that's a really good setup so like you try something new it didn't work out you can try again you can try again in a pretty short amount of time just reset your deck right exactly it's um i i think it's really good for you know practicing persistence trying something trying something again and again until you kind of get the handle on it because magic is is so so deep and you can really see the progression as you start to catch on to things you can see uh you can see your skills developing as as you play so how do the people react in the in the program when you use it at the residential facility like what, what did you see I started out with just one client, and it was a it was a one on one thing, and um, the client was was very enthusiastic about coming to these sessions. I think this, I think that that appealed to him in a way that uh, that I guess a lot of the a lot of the other treatments might not have. Um, and he started teaching he started teaching other people in the group, so we had kind of a little informal group going even before. I started doing the uh, the formal group for uh, for therapy credit, therapy hour credit, and um, we had just all sorts of people coming in, very very curious. Uh, some of them were some of them were already gamers, and uh, they were 
they'd seen other people playing it in the past or had even played it themselves in the past. Um, some people were not really the type you would expect at all, uh, but they saw they saw the group. They liked they liked the cards. I think uh, a lot of them liked the art. Some of them liked the challenge, and it was it was definitely one of our one of our most popular groups. Yeah, I often tell people who ask me, "Oh, like you're you're using that stuff in whether it be comic books or video games or board games, you know, with a client. Like, do they accept it or not? And just just think about it, right? Like, you have an option, <laughs> even if you don't know what it is. It's something that seems fun and different, like." So a lot of people will probably jump, a lot of people do jump on this stuff because it seems more exciting even just to try it out than, than a regular, whatever, like a talk therapy session or a, or a talking, you know, therapy group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this was, you know, with a facility like this, people are getting so much, so much therapy and so many treatments, so many regular groups, uh, you know, didactic groups, lectures on hygiene and so on that I think shaking it up was, was really important for them. And so in the group, so what was the focus of, of the groups that you started doing? In each group, we would usually have two or three people who had never played before or were just learning to play. So it was pretty much a learn-to-play group every week. And uh, the people who were more experienced, uh, the I guess the more involved the more involved games tend to take place kind of on off hours. They play amongst themselves, you know, at lunch or in the evenings. Uh, so during the group, they would help me to teach the new players, and then they'd earn they'd earn additional credit for uh, for helping out. And of course, that's like a group of people who may not um, usually have the opportunity to 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 teach, right? To, to feel like an expert at something or to feel, or to have that kind of mentorship role that is, that is so many times so important. And so, um, like it just feels so good to be able to pass something on to someone and, and, and you feel like, you know, more, like you're more of an expert. Um, and to, to have that opportunity every week must've been really good for a lot of those clients. Um, yeah, I think it was, I think it really gave a sense of mastery, a sense of contributing to the community. I'll be, uh, I'll be perfectly honest. I had one or two clients who were better, who were better at teaching than I was. They just had a knack for teaching. <laughs> and so what was it like for, for, for the new, for the, for example, for like, what was kind of that transformation like, or, or what kind of reactions did you get from people? Like, what did they tell you about their experience? I think the biggest thing, the most important thing that I saw was just people, people getting excited, people getting passionate about things. Um, you know, it was, it was a locked facility. They couldn't go out except on, you know, specified supervised outings. We didn't, unfortunately, it was not, not really a well-funded facility. So we didn't have a ton of things for them to do. Like we had a little, a little lending library that was kind of limited and we had, uh, one or two TVs. So, you know, if they were lucky, then they might get to see, you know, something that they wanted would be playing. But with the magic, the people who were really into it, they were, you know, they were catching me in the hallway. They wanted to tell me about the new deck they'd made. They had questions. Um, they were, they were looking forward to the new set and just seeing, just seeing kind of that, that fire was, that fire was remarkable. Um, the, the other staff members, the you know the CNAs and the program director and everything just commented on how people you know people were getting drawn in that they 
up until that point hadn't cared about anything. Wow. And and were clients getting, were they building their own decks? Were they just playing with cards that you brought? Like how logistically, how did it all work? So the way, uh, the way it started was when you when you first came to the group, then you got to borrow a deck. We had lots of people donated the the little promo uh, promo half decks that Wizards of the Coast gives away, and so they started they started with that. And then once they'd once they'd mastered kind of the the basics of the game, once they learned how to play, and it was pretty clear that they were gonna keep coming back or keep playing, then they would get to keep the deck. And they'd be in, and then they'd be enrolled in the magic program. And each week, uh, if they'd completed their groups and they and they hadn't uh, gotten into any sort of trouble that week, uh, then they would get to earn cards. And on Friday afternoons, I'd bring out the box of cards that was it was all donated. People in the community were just absolutely amazing. The group was run entirely with donations and. Uh, they get to go through the box and find choose cards to add to their decks, so they got to participate in the you know kind of making your deck your own part of the game. And I'm assuming there was trading going on among the among the clients. Um, we we tried to discourage it because one of I think one of the one of the pitfalls of the program is that some of the cards are worth a fair amount of money, mm, um, yeah. and you know, they don't. They didn't have the internet or anything to look up what's fair. We didn't want people getting getting upset. Uh, so we 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 kind of tried to discourage trading. Uh, I think that's for 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 a larger scale implementation. I think that's a kink that would need to be worked out. Yeah, yeah, I I, I can see that. What other kind of stuff came up that um that changed over time because either you didn't think about it or or even or improvements that you made over time to the program? Yeah, um, one of the things that I think was really valuable about the group was it, was that I really made an effort to keep it uh, connected, to, connected to the larger magic community. So it wasn't just, you know, the, the, the View Heights magic group. Um, I wanted, once these guys were discharged, I was hoping that they would feel comfortable going to a gaming store or playing with other people in the community. So, like I said, you know, we got a lot of donations from the community. I talked about this a bit in my Positive Magic uh, article, uh, but I, I really emphasized to them that, uh, you know, receiving receiving the cards, that wasn't, that wasn't because, you know, because they had disabilities or whatever, because they were in the facility. This is part of what the community does, is giving cards give, uh, in order to welcome the new players, and uh, one of the things that we were able to do, thanks to a very generous donation from uh, Sun Mesa, was we were actually able to give residents in the group who were being discharged a care package so that they could go to a store and instead of having, you know, the kind of the donated hand-me-down decks, uh, they would have a decently competitive deck. They'd have a deck box to put it in. They'd have uh, a life counter, kind of the 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 trappings that come that come with it, uh, kind of as a you know, well, you've been in the View Heights group, but now, you know, welcome welcome to the larger community. And so I hope I hoped that that would help them feel comfortable uh, going and playing. If I was doing it differently, 
if I, if I was going to do it again, you know, you're asking about improvements. One thing I've thought about a lot that I wish I had done differently was in the care package, instead of having the one more, more competitive deck, I would have liked to have two more casual decks because I was thinking, you know, joining the community, going to a store or whatever, but in retrospect, I would have liked them to have the flexibility to play with whoever they wanted and teach whoever they wanted. So I'd have given them two decks. Yeah. Oh, that, that's such a cool idea though. The, the idea of the care baggage. Who was, um, did you, did you, would you guys make the decks? Um, or did, did you and people you knew design a deck for them so that, that you knew was, was pretty good? Um, actually, uh, what, what Sun Mesa sent us, what, uh, Glenn Goddard sent us was the event decks that Magic makes where they're designed for you to be able to just pull them out of the box and take them to Friday Night Magic. Gotcha. And you keep talking about the community. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that because, um, because magic is an institution, mm-hmm. I've learned. It is, <laughs> yes, it is it unbelievable. <laughs> 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 they have a Hall of Fame where you get a ring. Um, <laughs> and, and Friday Night Magic is, is a real thing at gaming shops, at gaming stores and comic shops all over the world, I'm guessing? Uh, yeah. Actually, I forgot to mention one of the things that went in the care package was I would look up, uh, I would look up what... Uh, where they were being discharged to, and I'd put in the address of the nearest store. Wow. Um, wow. And you can, uh, one of the things that's been really valuable for me, like, I just moved, I just moved to Wyoming from L.A. for my internship. I've been in L.A. my whole life. That was quite a change, but I went into, uh, I went into the game store. I went into Dave's Darts the first week I was there, and just, Magic is magic wherever you go, and you know I just I I feel like I just slotted right in. Yeah, um, I I've just visited my local store, and um, half the store is just tables for gaming, and the mm-hmm. other store is the other half is a store. <laughs> yep. And and yeah, and I I went to ask because um, because I've been buying my cards, I'm I'm, I'm starting to build a deck. <laughs> of I'm 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 getting into it, and I asked like when when should I come to play. Like for my first time, when should I when should I swing by? And I think it was a Thursday. And he said, "You know what? Thursdays are pretty good. Um, <laughs> there's usually a lot of people here on Thursdays, and then we do fr- on Fridays." And then he he started telling me about like cube draft and limited and all this other stuff. And and I wasn't sure exactly what he meant. <laughs> and and but then he, then he said, "You know, you can actually come almost any day. And there's always people here who would love to sh- to 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 just show you." Um, you know, to just play. Um, and if you bring in your deck and, and like people, there are some nights where we just play board games, but um, people usually have their decks with them. So if you want to come really any night, you can come. And I was so surprised. He was so welcoming. It was, it was great. I can't wait to go and, and, and play. Yeah, that's how, that's how these stores usually are. Um, I mean, that's one of the things that really inspired me early on. Um, when I was in undergrad, I had a friend, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't my friend yet. It was a classmate and he had Asperger's syndrome. And I thought he was, I thought he was a pretty cool guy. Like from some of the stuff he said in class, I really wanted to get to know him better. He was very interesting, but he wasn't really comfortable just, uh, just, you know, hanging out and talking. So I started inviting him to, uh, I started inviting him to board game night at our dorm and he would come for that. And I think, Games in general, and Magic is just, you know, a very good example of this, really provide provide the structure for P- 
people to get to know each other without kind of the awkwardness of, oh, we don't know each other. What are we, what are we doing here? What do I say? You know, you know what to say. You've got a deck. I've got a deck. Let's, let's play. How's, how's your, how's, how's your tournament going so far? Exactly. Yeah. We've got the rules and we have the context, so we don't, that, that'll get us started. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the magic community, I am, I am. I am so excited. I almost feel like I'm. I, I can't believe. I can't believe how how big it is, you know, and how mm-hmm. and how active it is. Mm-hmm. I feel stupid, actually. Like, <laughs> it's going on all around me, and I didn't see. Like I've been to that comic store before, and I didn't realize that the entire front area is all magic cards and booster packs. And I feel like I'd, I'd never seen that before. And now, now it's blatantly. Oh, you'll 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 be seeing it everywhere. I promise you. Yeah. <laughs> And and you mentioned your positive uh, magic articles, which I will link to in the show notes because they are they are great. And they once I read them, that's when I said I need to talk to you. <laughs> um, can you go a little into into kind of what you went into there, and, and what those articles are about? Um, yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of positive psychology. I have been for quite some time. Uh, for people who are not not familiar with it, positive psychology is basically psychology from a sort of non-pathological approach rather than looking to rather than looking to fix what's broken they're looking to to build on the on the strengths and uh to focus on increasing happiness rather than decreasing unhappiness it it sounds you know in some ways it might sound like it's the same but it's really kind of a different mindset um and actually part of the reason that the magic group fit in so well at our facility is because our, our supervisor uh, really also emphasized, you know, positive psychology uh, and finding people's strengths and building on those rather than worrying all the time about, about their weaknesses. Um, and so I think it really lends itself to, to, to gaming-based stuff. And really, I think the, you know, what you've been talking about, the geek stuff in general because it's focusing on what appeals to people uh what inspires people and uh yeah in the article i touched on the three different uh approaches that you know the researchers have come up with to to uh having a happy life uh there's the pleasurable life which is you know just the the nice things you know feeling feeling good there's the engaged life, which is doing things that are really absorbing, that you kind of lose yourself in uh, because you love doing them so much. Like, they feel natural. You're in the zone when you're doing them. And then there's the meaningful life, which is feeling like you're contributing to something bigger than yourself. And I think depending on how you approach it, not everybody's using, using gaming for all of these or even any of these necessarily. But I think... Uh, it really provides an opportunity to do that if you are, if you're looking for that, you know, the pleasurable life, obviously the cards are, the cards are beautiful. They put a lot of effort into, into making them just, you know, aesthetic to look at, enjoyable to look at, you get engaged with the story and then the game itself is, is fun. So you've got the pleasure there, um, playing the game, you can get very engaged, just you know, completely, completely losing track of time, losing yourself in the game in, in really a very positive way, kind of, 
uh, just getting to take a step back from everything that's going on in your life. And then when you're done, you know, you, you come back and you're, oh, hopefully you're, you're refreshed and you're ready to go, you know, go be doing the other things that you need to do. And then the meaningful life, I really think we're seeing more and more and more of in the community. I think uh, in certain pockets, there's a very strong sense of social responsibility. So if if you're looking for a way to do something meaningful, you can you can find it through through the magic community. There's people doing all sorts of things that you can join in on, or you know you can do new things. Teaching teaching kids that's meaningful. You know, volunteering with people who have disabilities at the facility. A couple of the judges in the area actually came in, and we did a tournament. We did a little tournament in the facility with with certified judges. Uh, and I know it was, the residents loved it, but I know it was also very meaningful for the judges who came and volunteered. Awesome. And just to reiterate what you're saying about positive psychology, um, I, I, I don't know if this is why you, you always say client, right? But the, a lot of people um, talk about patients versus clients. I always say clients because, uh, again, coming from that strength um, um, and positive side of it, not seeing you as someone who, not seeing a client as someone who is, uh, exactly sick it's someone who has strengths and has and we can build off of those to help them through things that they're that they're dealing with mm-hmm. i think gaming and 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 yeah all this stuff that it, it's your passion right it's something that you're really into so it already taps into that pleasurable part and people were combining it i think people like you and i who are combining it with our profession right we don't have to just be academics and clinicians we can bring our passions into it too and then it adds an extra layer to the stuff that we already love Mm -hmm. Um, and then and then it becomes more meaningful and that's when we're sharing it right because even just personally i think they can be meaningful in many many different ways Mm, definitely um or do do you want to say anything else about how about about the articles or how those specifically go into like magic itself I'm sure you could say, like, talk about this for three hours. (laughs) I think one of the things that I've really, uh, that I've really enjoyed about doing my articles that I think ties into what you're, what you're talking about, where, you know, where it sparks that passion is I've really enjoyed just, you know, when I, when I learned these new concepts, uh, connecting it to, connecting it to the things that basically the kind of the life lessons that I've learned in the magic community because I think um, having that having that kind of unified theme and tapping into people already have this passion for magic and so I think using that kind of as a framework to introduce new things in the articles I think I think that helps people to engage with the concept a lot more than when it's just an abstract psychological concept. No I I think that um that we can't help ourselves, right? Like we love this stuff so much and we study it and we're so into it. We see the connections. We see the, the, the similarities, right? And I mm-hmm. think that, and, and maybe ma- this magic is, is this for you. And, and I can tell from, from your articles, right? Uh-huh. Like you see that that is your perspective, right? So you can see the world in that, from that viewpoint. And maybe, maybe you're working with a client. And I think a lot of clinicians do this. Maybe their first thought is, man, that is just like this aspect of a game or that aspect of a movie or this aspect of a book that I saw. But instead of coming out and, and saying that, we, we go back, we switch it around, we, we change the words to make it um, 
either more acceptable or, or, or what we think would be more appropriate. And then I think we lose something there. Yeah, that's, more. that's my opinion. <laughs> more, more, more professional. Yeah, yeah. We try to make it more professional and then we, we lose it instead of going with, with the way that it made perfect sense in the first place. Yeah. Right? Um, and th- this is something that, that, that I, I try to talk to people about all the time. And, and I, think, I think that it's more, like we're better clinicians when we can actually go ahead and be as clear about it as possible, right? Make the actual connection. And just like our, uh, if we can connect with our clients in that, in that, in that sense, um, I think it's extremely powerful. So if, like, if we're speaking the same language. So if mm-hmm. you like working with clients who, who are familiar with magic, even just a little right, then you, there's a whole other layer of insight that they can get from you and you can get from them just because you can kind of share that. And, and magic is just so rich with, with I mean, it can touch on so many different things. It, it really is. It, re- it provides such a rich just body of metaphors and symbols and experiences. Yeah, just being able to, being able to tap into those, I think, is really valuable. Have you so have you written a lot of articles um, in this in this vein, like uh, on this topic, or, or mixing your psychology um, education and practice with with magic? Um, when did I start writing? I think my first article was. I think I'm coming up on two years now because I think my first article was in not not last December, but the December before, and I haven't I haven't written every month, but. Um, I've probably written a good 15, 20 articles. And they're all related. Like this is, this is your, your perspective from, from psychology and, and your clinical work. Sometimes I'll pull in from other things. I think I might've touched on sociology. Maybe I'll, uh, just whatever, whatever I've been reading, whatever I'm finding interesting. Uh, but, uh, psychology, psychology tends to very much be the focus did you ever do it in school? Did you ever, like, when you had a writing assignment or a project to do, did you ever bring magic into it? Not that I can recall, especially in the beginning. I was, I was very self-conscious, you know, like you were talking about wanting to kind of frame it in more uh, socially conventional, academic ways. Um, I actually had some, some very good encouragement from my professors and supervisors, just wonderful folks. That's one of the things I really like about this ID is I think you get a little more freedom to follow your own your own interests rather than uh, needing to rather than needing to be on track with the professor's interests uh, so my my dis, my dissertation is actually on uh, MMOs I, I felt I felt that trading card games would be a little too close to home I wouldn't really be able to get an unbiased perspective but MMOs you know they're kind of the MMO culture I think is kind of kind of cousin to the trading card game culture. So yeah. that's that's yeah. where that's where I'm bringing it into the into the academics. Okay. Okay. Very cool. So Natasha, are there any other articles that that you think would be really cool to bring up now in this conversation? Um one of my favorite articles probably that I've done, uh, you know, especially with my interest in the positive psychology and in the, the strengths-based approach is, um, I did an article, it was called The Wisdom of Guilds, and it was about, um, for people who aren't, who aren't players, uh, the, uh, one, in one of the recent worlds, uh, the way the world is set up is 
almost all the characters are divided into these 10 different groups. And I guess I'd better backtrack talk about the color pie first. Um, probably my favorite part of the game. That's something you can just talk about forever. Um, you know, one of the things that I've always found really neat about magic is compo as a compared to something like D&D &D is, you know, D&D, &D, you've got the good and evil and the chaotic and uh, lawful alignments. And, you know, you fall somewhere in there. But uh, within magic, they don't really have a defined system of good and evil, per se. There's five different colors, and each of the colors has its own set of values and its own strengths and weaknesses. Um, and its own things that it believes really firmly. And there's black and white, which are kind of the traditional good and evil colors, but uh, the, the designers and the creative team and everything have really gone out of their way to say, you know, white's not all good, black's not all evil, here's the, here's the bad side of white, here's the good side of black. And um, so they're not so much right and wrong as they have the five colors have different values that are sometimes in opposition to each other. And I think that's really just a much more dynamic and I guess constructive way of looking at the world um, is understanding that different, you know, different people have different values and they're going to conflict sometimes. And that doesn't mean that one's right and one's wrong. So the way the guild system works is there's 10 different guilds and each guild is represented by two colors. And so it, uh, each guild kind of, combines the values of the two colors. So uh, like white is the color of law and order and blue is the color of knowledge. So you have uh, the, the Azorius Guild, which is, you know, they're in charge of handling all the laws and making sure that everything's running smoothly and so on. And then uh, there's all the different guilds. And so in my article, I talked about how basically like in Ravnica, you know, everybody in that world is just doing what they were meant to do, whether it's, you know, working in an office and making laws or, um, you know, doing, doing mad scientist experiments or smashing things because uh, <laughs> that needs to be done sometimes. And so uh, I talked in, in the article comparing it with uh, the signature strengths concept from positive psychology, which suggests that people are really at their best when they are getting to exercise these strengths. You know, the guilds, it's kind of a fun thing. They did a lot of good stuff with the guilds uh, during the pre-releases. You could get little boxes that had a sticker and a letter and so on. And some people got really, really into their guilds. Um, Tifa, my, uh, Tifa Robles now, uh, she works at Wizards. She actually got a Simic tattoo. And so I think that finding what guild resonates with you is really kind of a beautiful way of recognizing your strengths and recognizing what you were made to do. And I think that the, the guild system, the way it's set up really kind of shines a light on the value of seeking out opportunities to use those strengths. And it creates a sense of community too, because I'm not the only one who identifies with these. There's just a whole guild and they identify with them as well. Oh, that's right. I got my. I can. I can name my. I can name my Simic friends off off the top of my head. That's that's my guild. <laughs> yeah, and you're and you're really, you know, when you say I'm part of this guild, some people, you know, it's just a it's just a fun thing. It's just a silly thing. But for a lot of people, they're really saying something about themselves. They're expressing something about their values. Yeah, the sense of identity to just um, 
belong to that group. Mm-hmm. And so the article talks about kind of like all this stuff, like the 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 power of um, of um, like belonging or, or identifying with these with these groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just being able to say this is this is who I am. This is this is what I do. And you know, being part of one guild, there isn't a hierarchy of guilds. Being part of one guild or another guild uh, doesn't make you the best. There's no best guild. It's about finding the right guild for you. I think, I mean, and that also speaks to like the versatility of, of the game, right? Cause, because the, the, you, you mentioned the color pie and, and, and everything is based on these five colors in the game and that's been around for a while. And then just introducing this small concept of, of the guilds was, must've been huge at the time, I'm guessing. Oh, oh yeah, that was, I know, I know Ravnica's definitely been one of their, uh, one of their most popular sets. People just, people just love that. And just, and, and how does that work? So one year, right? So every year there's new, there's new sets that come out, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, so the year that Ravnica, uh, Ravnica came out, um, then the following year, does your, does your guild disappear or is that something, can you still play with those cards? You can, the way that, the way that the tournament scene works is, um, what I believe is probably the most common form of play is called standard, where you're playing with the current, uh, the current block, which is, uh, the three sets, they're all set in one world, and then you're playing with last year's block, uh, and then, uh, it rotates, you know, the next year, the, the old block is no longer in standard, now you've got uh, the new one and the one you were just playing with. Uh, but you can still play with the cards. There's there's other formats where you can use the old cards. There's, you know, casual kitchen table where you bring whatever you want you, and you're just playing playing with your friends around, around the kitchen table. Uh, and a lot of the concepts are just really enduring, I think, especially now that they've done Ravnica... Oh God, when was that? It was right before I started playing. So seven or eight years ago. And then they just did Return to Ravnica, introducing it to a whole new generation of Magic players. I think that's something that's going to stick around for a long time. I think I think people will have their guilds long after you know long after Return to Ravnica has rotated out. So if you really if you really identify with a certain type of player or a certain group of cards, I mean that doesn't mean just because the game is constantly evolving doesn't mean you have to let go of any of that necessarily. Exactly. You can't can't necessarily bring it to the same can't necessarily bring it to the same type of events, but um you'll you'll definitely find uses for them. So so magic is pretty complicated. It's very <laughs> um I don't want to say complicated, deep, right? Is the word is the word we used earlier. And I it's, agree with that. It's it's complicated. I'll I'll go with <laughs> I'll, I'll go with complicated. Um one of I mean one of the things at the hospital that was really that was really remarkable was we'd have people. Um, I think, I think magic has a bit of an elitist stereotype sometimes kind of as a, as a smart people's game. And like maybe peep, some people think that some people just aren't meant to meant to play magic. And ouch, that's, that's, <laughs> that's kind of how it is. I think. Um, Cause just learning the rules, I, I actually think a lot of it comes from, the people who, who want to learn but are intimidated, like they'll look at it and they'll go, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not smart enough to learn that. Um, but we'd have people, we'd have people at the hospital who had 
fairly substantial cognitive impairments and um, we'd be working we'd be working on the basics you know this is this is how you pay for a spell um, this is how you count up the monocost and we'd be working on that for two or three weeks and uh, you know some of them never really learned to play the game fluently but they were they were coming back week after week they were still finding value in uh, in just the process of learning to play yeah and I think we've talked about about like identifying with the with different aspects of the game um, the emotional part of it and the positive psychology part is like really really the I think like the identifying how there's different aspects in the game that can be transformative really um, mm-hmm. But I, I guess there's also, I'm sure, like with, with lots of games nowadays, there's so much research coming out on how they are good for all sorts of skills and things like that. So obviously, like social skills was a big deal um, at this group, for example. What other kind of skills and things like that do you see that are more maybe on the surface that people gain from from learning something so so difficult and actually practicing it? Uh, yeah, when I was first, this was something that I really had to think about when I was first pitching the project because you know I think there are the kind of deeper less tangible things like you know uh, feelings of engagement feelings of feelings of mastery and so on but even on the surface I was able to come up with a huge long list of proposed benefits um, just concentration and attention you know you have to sit and focus I actually I have uh, I have ADHD and when I was when I was in college uh, learning to I was playing a kind of deck that was a little more complicated you had to like do things on your opponent's turn and stuff a lot more than you normally do and I would for the longest time I just passed the turn without thinking okay go ahead and then oh wait I had a handful of things I could do and so I actually learned concentration I learned impulse control uh I was maybe you know 19 20 years old at that point um there's you see people, the social skills, um, you see... Resource management. Resource management, just the basics, reading, uh, reading the cards, combat math, uh, planning, being able to plan ahead, even um, even like probability, you know, how many lands do you need to put in your deck in order to, in order to make sure that you're going to get enough lands that you, can, that you can cast your spells. So there's all sorts of uh, kind of surface academic skills that I think can really be very valuable to have an environment where people are actually motivated to engage with this. Two things that I'm really excited about is that as complicated as, as it seems for someone who's just starting out like me, um, <laughs> there is there still is a structure. Like you mentioned before, well, if you go to your local store or, or like I asked a general thing about the game and you told me what's well, best out of three 15 minutes and then you try to like there's a structure to it right there's right. judges that can um if, you, if you're at the competitive level um people will, will help out there is there are rules there is a structure to it but at the same time it's so creative mm-hmm. right because even just using that one like just the creative thinking skills are are amazing and 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 thinking on the fly and and there's so much of it that it like I said, it's deep <laughs> yeah definitely so obviously, magic, tons and tons and tons of positive qualities, tons of benefits. I mean, I think it's hard for anybody listening to this who doesn't really understand the game or know how it's played to to grasp maybe kind of the, a lot of the concepts that, that we've touched on briefly. Um, so so what, what is your recommendation for people who want to learn more about the game? 
Like, where should they go? Um, I think there's two different two different paths you can take. Um, the one the one that I personally like is just going to a local game store and uh, asking them what they recommend to you to get started, and then usually you'll find uh, people in the game store are pretty uh, pretty welcoming and pretty excited to have new people and to teach them to play and everything um, on the um, on the magic website on dailymtg.com there's uh, there's a store locator so people can find find what's going on um, the alternative for people who might be a little intimidated is uh, duels of the planeswalkers is a video game version it's on it's on Xbox it's on Steam it's you said it's on PlayStation um, yep, that's where I'm playing. <laughs> and so uh, I know a lot of people find that to be uh, a really nice way to get a handle on the game and learn uh, learn learn the complexities and learn to play if they might feel, you know, a little self-conscious or a little or a little silly uh, trying to get the hang of it uh, playing playing with an actual person. It gives kind of feels more comfortable to learn in the safety of their own home with a computer, and then. And then once they've mastered the basics, then they're ready to go into the store. There's a lot of really good, good things online. Um, even if you're, you know, if you're starting to get in, I think, um, I think, think Gathering Magic. That's that's my home site, so I'm gonna gonna plug it a little bit. I think in general they tend to be they're one of the sites that's more accessible to new players. They focus on. Uh, a lot on culture things, on talking about the art, um, on, you know, my things, which are bringing in psychology concepts where it's not necessarily about, you know, the articles aren't necessarily about being the best player or, you know, understanding the kind of the strategy really in depth. Um, Mark Rosewater's articles, again, on Daily MTG, I think, are very, very accessible for new players the podcasts also you you mentioned that you've been enjoying those a lot uh, yes <laughs> <laughs> um and then online online communities uh reddit has a magic has a magic group that's really welcoming to new players a lot of times new players people will send them cards just to get them started uh what kind of group what kind of group of people does something like that <laughs> <laughs> they're amazing <laughs> people who really like having uh, new players in their community. And honestly, if you draft, which is where you buy three packs, uh, if you're drafting each week, you get more cards than you humanly know what to do with. So people are thrilled to have something nice to do with those cast off cards. I've sent them to soldiers. I've sent them to soldiers in Afghanistan. I've sent them to, you know, autism groups. Um, I'm glad to hear that because I, I guess I just got started and I have 500 cards. That's... That's that's uh, that's kind of how it works. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, new players, it's it's usually easy to get a decent a decent collection of cards. Go to a draft, especially tell people you're new. You'll leave with a stack of their commons because they've already got, you know, seven copies of each. So yeah, really just jumping into the jumping into the community. I think uh, you know there's different types of stores. Sometimes, occasionally, you'll find one that's not. Not as welcoming, so just if if you have another one in your area, go to the next store and uh i think I think you'll find a good experience before too long that's that's really at least i'm a very you know I'm a very people oriented person, so in my mind, 
that's the way to get into it is to to join up with the community. Gotcha. Yeah, and, and it can be overwhelming. There's so much stuff out there. So I think I, I can't imagine there being a better way than to just having people at the store and people who are, are used to it just kind of point what point out what you need, maybe the best way to start because everybody started from zero at some point. Uh, yep. And once people learn about it, right, let's say let's say even if they're not super into it or, or um, they just start seeing the value of it too, do you have any suggestion for maybe other other people who are either clinicians or teachers or anybody who works with kids or anybody who can do kind of anything like that to bring it in the community or into a new setting? Do you have any suggestions for for people? Um, hmm. that's that's a good question. I, I I imagine it would be kind of tricky if you're not already into it. Like when I've seen people using magic, it really it really seems to be a labor of love. It's an expression of you know, that person's passion for the game. But if somebody started getting into it and they decided that this was really something they would uh, want to use, once again, I'm, I'm all about the community. Uh, when I was doing the group, I, uh, I asked for donations and I had more cards that I could ever, I could ever possibly use. Uh, no, matter, no matter who you are, you will probably you will probably be able to run it without having to really drop much of your own money. So, you know, reach out, reach out for donations, reach out for, reach out for volunteers, reach out for suggestions. I love talking to people about ways that they can use it clinically. I think it's a great, a great tool. And there's other people in the community who are doing it as well, who love to, who love to talk about these things. So yeah, reach out. So learn more about the game and, and then definitely reach out. Um, so Natasha, if anybody wants to reach out to you directly, how, how can they do that? And where can they find your work online? You can find my articles at uh, gatheringmagic.com uh, under the authors button. There'll be a, uh, there'll be a list of authors and you can just click on my name. And it'll bring up everything I've written. Um, you can email me at, nlh.magic at gmail.com. Um, you can you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's it's a locked account because I'm trying to kind of keep it limited to to magic in the site community rather than being uh, rather than being open to the whole world. I want it to really be people where we have some kind of professional or you know I guess occupational hobby hobby interest, but um, if people want to talk about that kind of thing, then uh, they're, they're, welcome to, they're welcome to follow me. I love, I love talking to people, meeting new people, hearing what they're up to. So that's uh, Natasha underscore LH on Twitter. And um, that's, that's pretty much it. I'd, I'd love to hear from people. Awesome. And thank you so, so much for, for, for first of all, writing all those articles and really bringing, bringing that side of it into, into, I think, you know, combining these two areas of uh, your passion for magic and, and your passion for, for psychology and the clinical work that you're doing. And thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about it. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I've done, I did one podcast before, but it was a magic only, you know, it was, it was a magic podcast, so it's it's really exciting to be getting to bring this to kind of a, a wider audience. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. This was this was fantastic. I, I had a I had a lot of fun. So again, thank you so much. 
And if you want to learn more about Geek Therapy, visit geektherapy.com or follow us on Twitter at Geek Therapy.